Good morning, good afternoon, traders, wherever you may be on planet Earth. We are coming at you on June 13th with the 56th episode of the Performante podcast. Today, we got a couple of diverse stories. We'll really just be talking about the momentum that Bitcoin has in the current price action, as well as kind of touching on the fundamental side, because we've seen a lot of adoption from the international level, from countries like El Salvador, Cuba, Iran, Uruguay, Tanzania, just to name a couple of them, as well as some momentum of the US dollar and how Russia is kind of playing a game of checkers against the US, let's say, and just finishing it off with uh, some, I guess, rumors and speculation about one of our favorite investors, Mr. Kevin O'Leary. So I appreciate the time you have taken to tune in. And without any further ado, I will pass it off to Keith to jump on in. Awesome. Well, like Nathan said, thank you again for tuning in. We're going to jump right into it. This statement is uh, pretty bold, but it kind of illustrates how important crypto is to the millennial investors that have basically 50% of their wealth in crypto. The The story is more than a third of millennials or the millennial millionaires have at least 50% of their wealth generated through cryptos, which is pretty unbelievable. And uh, if you compare this to the baby boomer generation, where none of the baby boomer millionaires have more than 10% of their wealth in crypto on average, with 83% of Amer American millionaires having none of their wealth in crypto. And a lot of the money is old money. Uh, let's say the baby boomer generation from like the mid 50s and onwards, they're the demographic that has the most wealth. So it makes sense that almost all the millionaires in America are the older baby boomer generation. And with that group or that demographic, 83% of them have no crypto exposure really. So I think this series of statistics gives a really good understanding of just how early we still are in the market for people that have been in here since like 2016, 2017, when the previous bull run was in full swing, it may seem like you've been in the market for a long time. It's well established. You see countries like El Salvador really adopted and even like first world countries, you see a lot of adoption. But these statistics for the actual amount of people who are holding crypto really gives a good understanding as to where we are in the overall market and the potential that it has. Millennials obviously see the huge potential that cryptocurrencies have, not just in terms of price appreciation, but the decentralized finance option of it being your own bank, understanding that you can loan out money and, and charge interest like a bank does, but then you're actually able to uh, um, basically take upon that opportunity because it is a very lucrative sector and industry. Being able to loan out money and, and charge interest is pretty unbelievable. Uh, farming, like in liquidity pools, is basically kind of like that, a little bit more speculative, but you can farm stable coins. So I think that is where the overall market is going. And these statistics really give a good understanding as to where the new money is going. Because at some point in time, uh, baby boomers will pass on obviously life and death people unfortunately can't live forever ever so their money is going somewhere grandkids kids and the millennial money is really all flowing into crypto so when we're talking about a decade from now or even two decades from now the people who will be receiving all those uh, trust funds and, and um, large assets that they're going to be passing on to kids and grandkids, where is that money going to be flowing? And I think that's a really big question that people need to think about when they're looking at a very large perspective, talking about many years or even decades. Yeah, 100%. I feel like this is kind of just data to support the objective view that some people in the cryptocurrency space have. Ultimately, it is an asset class 
asset class that is much more orientated towards the tech savvy youthful millennials versus kind of the people who grew up on a different financial model, the baby boomers. And so it's really interesting to see this kind of paradigm shift happen along with the value shift of where our money is stored and how we're using it. Because at the end of the day, it feels like the financial revolution is still in its infancy. We are gaining some momentum. We are gaining some overall progress within the grand scheme of the modern financial system. But I think anyone can believe in the fact that the best is yet to come because within the scheme of how money works, we are still such a small proportion of total money available. We're seeing inflation rise. We're seeing consumer goods become much, much, much more expensive. And we're kind of seeing the need for cryptocurrencies in these inflating countries like El Salvador, Argentina, Uruguay, et cetera, et cetera. But another interesting story coming out of Iran, actually, one thing that's interesting is that Iran is sanctioned from using the U.S. dollar because of international trade restrictions and the whole debacle that happened with nuclear weapons that we won't dive into. But ultimately, uh, Iran says that he wants to legal or the uh, president of Iran wants to legalize cryptocurrencies as soon as possible. And if I remember correctly, a couple months ago, the Iranian government was actually subsidizing people's Bitcoin mining operation and allowing them to get government funding to set up these mining operations. But in return, you would have to sell your Bitcoin to the Iranian government. So clearly, they're already pretty crypto friendly. But I guess this is just kind of the professional legislation that would bring that kind of two-way symbiotic relationship between Bitcoin and Iran. Yeah, they're definitely stacking stats, that's for sure. <laughs> Which is uh, kind of the trend that we've been seeing because we talked about Iran, we talked about Venezuela subsidizing uh, Bitcoin mining as well. We talked about El Salvador in the previous podcast and another country that is also looking to prepare for the use of cryptocurrencies is uh, Tanzania or Taz, uh, Tanzania. Yeah, Tanzania. Tanzania. Tanzania, that's how you say it. Um, but the president of Tanzania is actually talking about central banks preparing for the use of cryptocurrencies. This would be the uh, central bank digital currency in short. Uh, a lot of countries are already implementing it. China's probably at the forefront of it. America has talked about it. Uh, but you see these countries that are a lot less known in the overall cryptocurrency community and, and, and overall world actually start to change their view on it. Uh, probably for multiple factors, but uh, main one is increasing the overall interest in the country, raising their GDP, getting outside external investments in the country, maybe for like mining use cases or staking or maybe some uh, other cryptocurrency use cases. But overall, we are seeing countries that are less commonly um, talked about actually implement these uh, very innovative technologies because I think it will actually shift. Like, for example, um, El Salvador, I believe, said they're potentially going to triple their GDP because of their shift in um, how they view cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin altogether being a legitimate currency there. So we are seeing the numbers shift very positively for countries who've already made that shift. And I think because, uh, I guess, leaders of other countries are seeing that they see the positive effects that they can have for the overall economy so i think it is kind of similar to what we saw with the corporate world of america starting to adopt btc in their trust and in their treasuries we're seeing countries kind of have that same viewpoint as well yeah 100 percent. in the tail end of 2020 we we're talking about big companies like insurance providers banks etc in november december and early january 
that was when we had that big wave of institutional adoption. And it feels like now we're kind of seeing a big wave of multinational adoption. It really started with El Salvador. They knocked the dominoes over to speak. And I feel like a whole bunch of other countries are like, wait, when you say it like that, it actually makes sense. Because inflation is such a funny business, because ultimately the U.S. dollar is being printed. But when it's being printed, it stays usually domestically, meaning that that U.S. dollar that is made usually stays within the country. But when you have countries like El Salvador and other South American ones that use the U.S. dollar as their major currency, those are the countries that get hit with inflation the hardest. Because now their foreign trade partners in the U.S. suddenly have more dollars to spend but the people on the other end don't have more dollars to buy with. So goods become more expensive because there's more dollars in existence, but these same countries don't have a means to actually produce more dollars themselves. And so that's really where these underprivileged countries, let's say, begin to really struggle with inflation because everything is becoming more expensive in their base currency, the USD, but they don't have means to increase their own income in USD. And so that's really the fundamental challenge that inflation has introduced to these poor countries. And that's really the fundamental solution that Bitcoin has to offer for these same countries. It, like I said earlier, it's just a series of dominoes. As soon as one country joins in that's underprivileged and experiencing inflation from the USD, this is the solution that can kind of equalize the economic playing field and allow them to participate in the economic playground. One interesting thing is the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, I think is becoming quite antsy with all this momentum that Bitcoin is having. They're saying they're going to speak to the El Salvador president and everything like that. And uh, I read one article, although we're not specifically talking about it in this episode, is that El Salvador actually owes zero dollars to the IMF, wow. which is a super precarious situation because in theory, the IMF probably needs El Salvador more than El Salvador needs the <laughs> IMF. And we've never really seen a situation like that where suddenly one country is like, oh, we might just introduce a new currency regardless of what the IMF has to say and what they're going to do about it. Mm -hmm. And so this is really the epitome of a massive financial experiment on a multinational level that has never been run before. And this is completely uncharted territory. Yeah, 100%. I think kind of going back to the inflation in the dollar, there I think will be some... Uh, let's say a fight put up by the U.S. Um, central banks and, and the U.S. in general by the government, because as of right now, the entire world is really working off of the U.S. dollars, the world reserve currency, all commodities, and really almost everything is priced in dollars. Like for example, Bitcoin, oil, gold, corn, soybeans, um, really anything that you can kind of think of on a global scale that's traded. So then, if a country has a lot of debt in U.S. dollars and they need to pay it off. They have to go through some troubles and turmoil to actually pay it off. But then if the U.S. dollar has any debt, they could just print it away. So every single country except for America is heavily indebted, to say the least. But then America having the world reserve currency, they kind of have a get-out-of-jail-free card to some degree. And I think a lot of countries are um, taking that not so lightly. We'll, talk a little, we'll take a little bit of a look at Russia uh, a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, there might be a little bit of spite as well, because if, let's say, everyone else in the playground has to play by the rules and one kid gets kind of all the rules muted or uh, he doesn't have to really have to follow any of the rules, that's going to leave a lot of people spiteful or a little bit um, upset in some way, shape or form. So I think 
<laughs> there's obviously more countries than just uh, in the States, so I think they might actually connect, talk to another, and kind of understand that the current game that they're playing with the Federal Reserve being able to kind of just clean debt on a whim. Um, they'll have more debt in terms of their overall country, but in terms of exterior debt to other countries, they could just pay it off at any given moment notice because they could just print away um, all the currency that they will have in debt. So it's a pretty unfair system. The Federal Reserve in the U.S. has been benefiting from it for a very long time since the Federal Reserve and the U.S. dollar has uh, created the world reserve currency as the U.S. dollar. So uh, I think over a hundred year period is the average time for a currency to kind of go up, rise, be the dominant leader, and then fall. And we've surpassed that. So it's looking like it could be shifting from a kind of long-term global macro perspective, looking at the currency cycles, but then also seeing the news that's currently, uh, we're talking about with, um, Iran and, uh, all these countries Cuba will talk about next in the Caribbean as well as El Salvador I think the shift is finally occurring and it couldn't be at a better time because we see Bitcoin in the corporate world taking more adoption from treasuries actually incorporating it in their portfolio and then like Nathan did talk about we're now seeing countries entire countries now shifting and adopting this pretty unbelievable uh, I would say it's still not 100% a currency I'd say it's more like an asset where it's like a store of value um, but we are seeing it used in more transactions on an international scale. So pretty unbelievable. So tying this into the next topic of conversation, it's going to be talking about the Caribbean islands. It's pretty unbelievable. Cuba has asked tourists to not bring U.S. dollars with them to the Caribbean island, which is, which is pretty crazy. And um, the U.S. currency, the U.S. dollar will no longer be accepted in that country, according to the first vice president of the central bank, Francisco Mayobri Lentz. So it's pretty unbelievable. I think um, the view will shift to other countries as well. But the reason is earlier this week, the Cuban government announced that the country's bank would temporarily stop accepting cash deposits and dollars. Uh, Havana cited severe U.S. sanctions that prevent the nation from using the greenback, which is the U.S. dollar, abroad as the reason for the move. So they're talking about it as being U.S. sanctions that prevent them and the increasing friction that it's taking to actually use the U.S. dollar in their economy is getting more and more. So they want a easier way to transact without having so much friction, which makes sense. But I think there could be an underlying reason with inflation, with the government governments being able to print as much as they want uh also being a factor for the decision as well yeah 100 percent. it's just kind of continuing with momentum obviously there is a trade embargo between the u.s and crypto but i think it's also interesting to speculate that bitcoin is kind of a workaround in that hey there's a trade embargo cuba isn't meant to be transacting in the usd at all obviously they still do but if they suddenly pivot to a Bitcoin-centric country, I would imagine the U.S. would revoke their embargo pretty damn quick just to kind of be like, hey, don't don't forget about us, though. You're not meant to be using us. Please continue. And one interesting speculation is that I know a lot of ex-Cubans uh, love to live in Miami and kind of that side of Florida. And obviously, Miami has the current trajectory and momentum to become a very Bitcoin-friendly city with their new mayor, I forget his name. And so it'll be interesting to see if kind of there is a, a symbiotic relationship that happens should Cuba continue on its trajectory, maybe trend towards closer to a decentralized currency like Bitcoin and how that can interact with all of their uh, old residents that now live in Miami. 
ultimately super fun to speculate about this kind of stuff because this is far beyond what we could ever imagine in the 2016-2017 bull run. This is real multinational adoption. And so just another news story, this one coming out of Moscow with the Russian foreign minister has basically said that Moscow will be going away with the USD. They want to remove their exposure to the to the almighty, let's call it, and they want to basically diversify away from the US because they think that they do not want to do business with them and they want to potentially eliminate them from trade deals. And the first step to that is remove them from their foreign stores. This is a really interesting de-dollarization plan. And this was kind of interesting that it, this this these talks were also happening in Beijing earlier in the year. And obviously China and Russia have a special relationship, let's call it. And so if these two countries kind of stray away from the USD, I think we're definitely going to see the dominance of the US dollar as the global reserve currency really be challenged on that kind of multinational level, because not only are they losing prevalence in the South American countries we've been talking about this episode, but major nations like Russia and China are reducing their exposure to the almighty US dollar. Yeah, very interesting. The progression of the de-dollarization of the world is slowly coming into fruition. We've been talking about it since 2018, 2019. I think it was something that was a dream for many because if we're going to have de-dollarization and the world reserve currency is not going to be the dollar you're going to have some sort of international asset that i think will be replacing the dollar because as of right now and really every single time in history where we had a world reserve currency it was tied to a single nation so they had I guess you could call a little bit more power economically because they could print whatever asset is traded internationally out of thin air, uh, fiat, uh, fiat currency systems. So then if the world international uh, economic trade is done on an asset that can't be printed out of thin air by any single entity, that will give a lot more stability to international trade. So then if there's high inflation or deflation or um, there's no entity that could increase or decrease the number of, let's say, United States dollars or Bitcoin that's circulating. So in my opinion, this will create a lot more consistency overall and have a lot less swings from a global macro perspective because currencies do take time to rise and fall, but they inevitably do rise and fall because of humans and uh, their greed and lack of understanding for the longer term view. Like, Let's say, for example, right now, they're raising interest rates to negative or very low interest rates, and that has a reaction uh, later on in the future, which a lot of people don't think about. But if you have something where an algorithm or code is implemented for international trade, you don't have those major ebbs and swings. You don't have those uh, huge volatile swings where central banks are being irresponsible. You just have Bitcoin. It's going to be doing what it's doing. It has code to back it. It's not janet yellen or mr jerome powell or any single person have control over it's just an algorithm that's working that's going to be very consistent for as long as it's um, up and running which will hopefully be a very very long time so i think it will be a very positive thing but with any entity having lots of power they're going to have uh let's say some things to say before they lose that power so we really hope that there's not going to be any world war or anything ray dalio does think that there is going to be a world war because of the de-dollarization so hopefully that isn't the case he views bitcoin as a potential opportunity to dethrone the dollar but 
with that, there's going to be a lot of regulations, restrictions in all things crypto. But the positive thing is they can only really control what happens on the United States um, land. So if you are living there, maybe go somewhere else if there is massive restrictions. But until that happens, I think the momentum will continue on. Really great things to see from these other countries. Uh, Russia is obviously a very key player, and uh, for them to say that they want to do away the dollar is very, very significant in our view that there is going to be a new world reserve currency in our lifetime. So the final thing we're going to talk about is Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. He's been discussing the Bitcoin volatility recently, and he does currently have around 3% of his portfolio in Bitcoin, which is pretty solid. Uh, people like Mike uh, Novogratz has like over 50%, I believe, in, in crypto or even more. But 3% uh, is still solid for a pretty uh, wealthy human being like Kevin here. But one thing he has stated that is a little bit surprising because he has been... Um, somewhat bashing Bitcoin back in 2016, 2017, even like throughout the bear market in 2018, he was pretty neutral or kind of negative towards crypto. But he recently said, I don't care if it goes down to 20 grand or up 20 grand, or I don't know if it goes down 20 grand or up 20 grand. I'm not selling. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. I'm in it for the long run. So he finally sees the power of Bitcoin and just the ability of it to hold wealth over a long period of time. And he's a very influential individual in the world of finance. So I think that uh, more and more people in kind of positions like him where he has some influence in the overall market is going to shift. And it takes a lot for people like that to shift because obviously they're not just um, talking to themselves, they're talking to the press, they're talking to the public, they're talking to investors. So having someone of that caliber finally understand the true value of not just Bitcoin, but crypto is a very positive thing. And other people have been as well. Like for example, if we're talking about Shark Tank, Mark Cuban is very heavily invested in Ethereum and Aave. He likes Bitcoin, but he thinks Ethereum and Aave will do, uh, I guess you could say better in terms of price appreciation because he sees the smart contract DeFi sector absolutely exploding compared to the, just the store of wealth that Bitcoin has to offer. But overall, you do see these huge uh, influential individuals in tech or finance start to finally adopt it, which is pretty unbelievable and great to see. Yeah, this is true ado true adoption that we've seen with the current trajectory and ultimately kind of seeing these, let's call it old school haters of Bitcoin like Kevin O'Leary come around, have that paradigm shift towards liking Bitcoin and advocating 3% allocation completely irregardless of the price. And even in this article, it said that he's been putting his Bitcoins to work in various DeFi projects. Kevin O'Leary, one of us, he's getting sucked into the DGen life. <laughs> it's, it's addicting once you get your uh, feet in the river, so to speak, because before you know it, you'll be swimming. And so I think that's a great place to finish this episode. Uh, I appreciate the time you've taken to tune in. Hopefully you learned a thing or two. Regardless, we hope to see you around the Discord. And one last shout out, this podcast episode has been sponsored by Hubi, a crypto exchange. They're multinational, offer an insane amount of assets as well as other services if you are looking to generate passive income from your crypto. So we'll put a link in the description. Appreciate the time you've taken with us. We'll end the episode there.